You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute. We all know that the middle finger is a rude gesture to make at someone, but why? And when did we start referring to it as flipping the bird? The appetizer comes out at a restaurant. Maybe a little chips and salsa? You dip a chip, but now you're left with half the chip. Do you dare double dip? This week, is the double dip rude, gross, or neither? There are 12 months in a year, but which one does the research say is the worst one to have a birthday in? You and birthdays, I swear. <laughs> All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. So Dave, you and I are both dads of pretty young kids, but they're starting to get older. And as they get older, one of the things that you notice is that they start to get exposed to things. Uh, so specifically, they get exposed to maybe language that you don't use in your own home. And then they bring it home and you have to sort of work through that, especially like when your kids go to school. And so it reminds me of the first time that I ever learned what the F word was. And I remember that I was young. I don't remember what grade it was. It had to have been kindergarten or first wow. grade. What kind of school were you going to? <laughs> well, I had a very short bus ride after school. And there was a kid on the bus, just like stereotypical kind of bully behavior. You know, fifth, sixth grader was just like, hey, kid, come here. I'm going to tell you a word to say when you get home. And then told me the word. So then I went home and said it. And my parents understood, you know, hey, he didn't mean it that way. But it's just kind of like, you know, on some level, that's probably going to happen to your kids sooner than you'd like for it to happen. You know, someone's just going to have heard it too early and they're going to tell it to them thinking it's funny. And then you've got to deal with the fallout of that. So can you ever remember a time that you maybe tested out using a word or maybe tested out putting your middle finger up? Yeah, um... Uh, so this isn't this isn't me that this this thing happened to. This is a story a friend told me about when his kids were small, uh, and so he said his kids were really little and they had just moved into a new house, and so they're they're really small. His kids were like this is like the the age where they're just starting to say things like put full sentences together, and um, they had had an interesting realtor. I, I think it was that when they moved into this house, the realtor had said some things about the house that were a little questionable, and you'll know why here in just a second. And so they'd been in the house about a week, and it's like 5, 5.30 in the morning. He said, he's up, and, and one of his daughters walked in, and uh, he says, hey, good morning, how are you? And his daughter takes the pacifier out of her mouth and goes, this house is effing haunted. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you can't even be mad. He said, he said, he said it was like the first complete sentence she'd ever said. And that's what her first complete sentence was. Well, Dave, in this segment, we're going to be talking about how did the raising of the middle finger become what it is today, which is this like very rude gesture that you would do to someone. I always think things like that are interesting because I think about like, what if an alien came to earth and we had to explain to them our culture and we're like, you can hold up this finger, but you can't hold up this finger, you know, like kind of thing. It's like, how did we get to that point? Like, how did it, you can give us a thumbs up. You should give us a thumbs up. (laughs) Not not these other ones out of the five. Like, you know, (laughs) this one's okay. This one's okay. This one, definitely not. You know, I just think that stuff's interesting. (laughs) 
So, Dave, to trace the roots of the raising of the middle finger, journey back with me to 2,500 years ago, to a time when the ancient Greeks first crafted this gesture, utilizing the middle finger as most of the time a phallic symbol to make fun of someone. According to Max Nelson, a professor at the University of Windsor, the Greeks likely employed the middle finger to symbolize quite directly an erect penis. The display, though, doesn't necessarily seem to have been meant as offensive, per se, but rather as a joke, a symbol you'd hold up as a crude sign with friends rather than one that you'd use to show disapproval. Now, as with most things in ancient Greece, the tradition eventually made its way to ancient Rome. The Romans even had a name for it, referred to it as the digitus impudicus, or the indecent digit. At some point, an evolution began from a joke to something more offensive during this time. The Romans didn't seem to use the gesture in the same way as the Greeks. For example, anthropologist Desmond Morris, in an article for CNN, cites an example of how the Roman emperor Caligula would force his subjects to kiss his middle finger as a power move, and you can connect the dots to put together the message that he was trying to send. So Dave, fast forward to the Middle Ages, where the middle finger's popularity dwindled, likely due to the disapproval of sexual gestures by the Catholic Church. The gesture experienced a resurgence in the late 19th century in the United States, brought by Italian immigrants to U.S. shores for probably the first time. So at some point, we as a culture started referring to the middle finger as flipping the bird. This emerged in the rebellious 1960s, transforming the middle finger into a wordless version of taunting sounds. The English had long associated bird sounds with taunting. For more than 700 years, English audiences have expressed dissatisfaction with goose honks and owl hoots. The term flipping the bird paired well with a middle finger as a way to show disapproval without actually saying anything. Today, flipping the bird is deemed so vulgar that it's often censored in media. It even caused a stir when the performer M.I.A. raised her middle finger during Madonna's Super Bowl halftime show in 2012. The NFL actually asked for $16.6 million in damages from M.I.A., claiming she had breached her contract and damaged the league's reputation. M.I.A. actually settled over two years later, though she never did formally apologize. So, Dave, next time you think about throwing up the one-finger salute in traffic when you're late for work, just remember, you're engaging in a 2,500-year-old cultural tradition, even if you don't mean it the same way the ancient Romans did. So, I don't get flipped off very often. Like, I, I, I probably haven't... <laughs> but you, like, remember every time it's <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, it's only been a handful of times, but when it happens, I remember it. And it actually happened... A couple days ago, <laughs> so, so was it I your was, fault or was uh, it just well? An angry I'll person? tell you the story really quickly, and you could draw your own conclusions. <laughs> I was going to work, and it was early in the morning. Uh, I was on my road, so it's like a side road. The speed limit, I think, is like thirty-five. It's one of those things where nobody's actually driving thirty-five. Though. I mean, you're going like forty-five, right? And this guy was going like fifteen. He was going fifteen miles an hour. It's in the it's morning. It's it's rush hour. People are trying to get to work, so I'm like kind of tailgating him. Because I'm like, come on, like you got to be kidding me. Understandable. Okay, I mean, come, 15 miles an hour is painfully slow. He's super old too. Okay, so by the time I actually saw him, I mean he was probably 90 years old, which makes it even funnier. So as I get up to finally pass him, I kind of give him a look like, you kidding me? And he gives me <laughs> double birds. 
double middle double. finger. He took both hands took off the both, wheel. This old man took both hands off the wheel to give me double birth. It's funny that you say like, or we talk about like remembering every time it's ever happened because it happened to me probably like, I mean, it's probably been 10 years ago. I was, and it wasn't even that, like I didn't even do anything wrong. I was sitting at a light and it was a red light and I was waiting for it to turn green and it turned green. And then like one to two seconds after it turned green, like as you're getting ready to go, a guy went through the red light and held up his middle finger at all of the cars <laughs> sitting at the light. And we're like, we didn't even do anything. We're just waiting to go. And it was like, he was just like, I don't know why he was angry with me. Like I was just sitting there. I don't think that was an angry middle finger. That was more of a, I'm better than you middle finger. Jay, are you an appetizer guy? Like when you go to a restaurant, you get a little pre-meal, maybe some chips and salsa, chips and queso, maybe some wings. It didn't used to be, but as I've gotten older, there's nothing better than getting an appetizer. And it sets the <laughs> entire tone for the meal. <laughs> Seriously, that's so funny that you say that because I, I'm telling you, as I've gotten older, I think it's because maybe we have kids now. So we just enjoy, like when you actually go out to eat, you get an appetizer, you want to experience it. Right. When I was younger, it's like the idea of ordering an appetizer sounded completely insane to me. But it's like, as you get older, it's just, you know, you just, you get it at one point in your yeah. life. Yeah. And, and if you're with your family, getting an app is easy to do, right? I mean, they call them shareables for a reason. You just get one salsa, you dip as you please, but it's a little bit harder when you go out to eat and get an app with other people. And why is that? Well, because when you're with others, you have to avoid the double dip. Jay, when you dip a chip and you're left with half a chip, what's a man to do? Maybe you're the type who dips only once and you're okay with that. Or maybe you're more like me. You dip, wait for everyone to look away, and then maybe you dip again. Double dipping was even featured on a classic episode of the hit comedy Seinfeld, where George double dips at a wake of all places. (laughs) But what's the truth about double dipping? Is it rude? Nasty? Both? Neither? Thankfully, a group of researchers at Clemson University decided to find out. Jay, the student researchers designed a set of experiments to figure out what exactly happens during a double dip experience. The researchers started by comparing a bitten cracker versus an unbitten cracker, measuring how much bacteria could transfer from the cracker to a cup of water. The results found that around a 1,000 more bacteria per milliliter of water were present when crackers were bitten versus the alternative. But most people aren't dipping crackers in water. So next, the researchers turned to food. Salsa, chocolate, and cheese. They reran the test, bitten crackers versus unbitten crackers, and also tested the actual dips themselves to see if any bacteria had started growing. So what happened? Well, unsurprisingly, perhaps, the results showed that food with no double dipping had no detectable bacteria. But once a dip had been double dipped in, things dramatically shifted. All three had significant bacteria levels, with salsa showing around five times as much bacteria as cheese and chocolate. But bacteria lives everywhere, right? So was double dipping really a big deal? Well, it can be. Yes, we do interact with germs constantly, but a double dip is basically moving germs generated by saliva directly from one mouth to another. So, Jay, think about it like this. 
It's basically you're kissing the person or all the people that you're out to dinner with. That's how your body sees it. Jay, one of the most infamous examples of spreading a disease through food happened in the 19th century. Mary Mallon, soon to be known as Typhoid Mary, spread typhoid to numerous families during food preparation. Most folks guess that old Mary was tasting the food as she went, even though that's never been confirmed. Mary was an asymptomatic carrier of typhoid disease, and her infamous spreading episode is said to have killed dozens of people. So conclusion, double dipping is as nasty as you'd assume it is. You probably won't kill anyone by doing it, though, like Mary. So will it stop folks like me? Well, you'll never know. I may just continue to sneak in a double dip here and there. (laughs) So next time we're at dinner, I guess this is all I'm going to be thinking about from now on. It's like, well, I would eat some salsa, but, you know, Dave is right there. So it's almost like if, if you get a drink and you let somebody taste your drink. I mean, you know, it's probably not sanitary, but you just say, is it that dirty? I don't know. It's pretty dirty. Pretty, pretty dirty. At this point with kids, though, it's like they're sticking their hands in it and, you know, like they're like licking the chips and sticking them back in. I mean, yeah, you build up a big immune system. Like, actually, we, we were both <laughs> at a, a kid's birthday party just today and I ate it. Hey, it's it's Saturday. Where, a, you know, uh, it's I ate a half <laughs> every Saturday. There was a half eaten piece of pizza on the table that may or may not have been my kids. I'm not sure whose it was. I just ate it because <laughs> you just don't care anymore. Dave, for this last segment, what we're going to do, we're going to be talking about what does the research say is the worst month to have a birthday? And long story short, what we're going to see by the end of this segment is that it's pretty complicated and there's a lot of different ways you can measure, like not the best. But before we start, what is your prediction? Like, what do you think is probably the worst month to have a birthday? Okay, so I, I've got three months that I'm kicking around. One of them could be okay. December, and that's because you're competing with a lot of things. So your birthday's close to, like, my wife's birthday is two days before Christmas. So, I mean, you know, a lot of people just double up on her. Um, January <laughs> and February would be my other two guesses because I personally hate those months. It's cold. They're long. Even though February is the shortest month, it just feels so long. Everyone's kind of in a low-key bad mood. Yeah, you're pretty close. I mean, there's a couple... There's a couple... You have to decide how you're going to measure like not the best, right? And there's different measurements. And for different measurements, there's different months. So... What does the research say is the worst month to have a birthday? So Dave, let's start with a 2015 study published in the Journal of Social Sciences by Dr. Emily Zitek and Dr. Alexander Leslie. They delved into the correlation between birth month and life satisfaction. According to their findings, individuals born in August and September tend to have lower life satisfaction scores. This could be attributed to various factors, including academic age cutoffs and seasonal effectiveness disorders. Now, if we look at a different perspective, a study conducted by the National Bureau of Economic Research in 2012 analyzed the influence of birth month on success. The researchers, Dr. Casey Buckles and Dr. Daniel Hungerman, found a significant correlation between birth month and educational attainment. Children born in September, they argued, had an academic advantage, often being the oldest in their grade due to school cutoff dates. So already we're kind of seeing a little bit of competing studies here. But don't be so quick to declare September as the worst month. There's another study from the Journal of Aging Research in 2012 that focused on the impact of birth month on longevity. 
Dr. Leonard A. Gavrilov and Dr. Natalia S. Gavrilova discovered that individuals born in the spring, specifically March and April, had a slightly higher life expectancy compared to those born in other months. Now let's turn our attention to health. A study published in the Journal of American Medical Informatics Association in 2015, led by Dr. Mary Regina Boland, explored the connections between birth month and disease risk. Surprisingly, they found that individuals born in May had the lowest disease risk, while those born in October faced a slightly elevated risk. But it's essential to note that with this study, these correlations are pretty modest and shouldn't really be interpreted as determinative. Now, birthday celebration-wise, a study conducted by money.co.uk found that someone born in January in England will lose out on an average of 1,120 pounds, which equates to about 1,420 US dollars over their lifetime on gifts. This is because coming off the holidays, we tend to spend just a little less on those with January birthdays under those tight wallets. So where does this all leave us in our quest to identify the worst month for birthdays? It's pretty clear that various studies are highlighting different aspects, and the definition of worst can be subjective. Whether it's life satisfaction or educational success or longevity or health, this evidence is just really scattered. One factor worth considering, Dave, is the impact of the holiday season birthdays, like you mentioned. A study from the International Journal of Epidemiology in 2015, led by Dr. Russell Viner, discussed the phenomenon of the birthday effect. They found that individuals born around the holidays, particularly in December, faced higher mortality rates. So let's bring it all together. While no single month emerges as the unequivocal worst, the evidence does suggest some interesting patterns. August might be challenging for academic success, while December, with its holiday effect, could pose certain health risks. But remember, at the end of the day, these findings are statistical trends, and they don't determine the fate of any one person. Birth month is just one variable among countless others that shape our lives. So when it comes to celebrating your birthday, just go ahead and embrace the uniqueness of your birth month, because every month has its ups and its downs. So the Guardian reports about the worst day to have a birthday. So this is based on research um, that asked folks about their individual birthdays. So tell us about your birthday. Has it been a good experience? Do you get many gifts? Do many people come? And uh, the results show that the worst birthday, according to this, is December 16th. Uh, reasons <laughs> cited are very few people come to your party. You receive very few gifts. And most of your gifts, over over a quarter of the gifts that were reported, were wrapped in Christmas paper. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's when people are buying their gifts, right? Like, you think it's like the 24th, 25th, but it's like people have bought their gifts by that point. Like, the 16th, people are actively buying their gifts. Now, your birthday is July what? 7th. I'm surprised that you didn't somehow find a way to make July the worst birthday month. Hey, I didn't say a word, okay? You know, you're you're in here talking about it's about me. I what didn't even the, say anything about it. You've told these stories before, but what was the worst one? I mean, you've had some pretty bad ones. In my mind, it's your parents rented a big facility, and it was just you. Like nobody See, you're it. just making stuff up. That's the... That's <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of blow-ups. It's just you going down. Just bouncing on them one at a time. <laughs> and that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutepodcast.com. 
Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Trapp. We'll see you next week. On this... <laughs> mm. <laughs> On this... Right. <laughs> All right, let's try it again. <laughs> Ooh, that's fresh. <laughs>